1: another episode of california golden blogs presents the Bearcast. as always we're brought to you by the booth brewing follow your fun um, so today's episode's a little different we did a little round table with the unc guys and so i'm just recording this intro for you guys um and then yeah enjoy the listen and comment below follow do whatever and enjoy And here we are. It's the Cal UNC joint podcast, uh, just roundtable conversation, whatever you want to call it. This is a weird format. I've never done this format before, but we're going to record one. We're going to put it out on both of our podcast services, wherever they may be. And our fan bases can listen to what we have to say about each team. Uh, So I'm Rob from California Golden Blogs. Uh, we got Jake and Chad here from uh, Tar, Tar Heel Blog. Tarheel Blog,
2: that is correct. Very original name.
3: <laughs> yeah, we, we really uh, stretched the budget on the name, so uh, that's that's why none of us are getting paid uh, extremely well, but, you know.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, we're just the California Golden Blogs. So we just took out bears because we couldn't use that as a copyright, so you know, we went with what we're doing, which is blogging.
3: I mean, at least you're not lying to the people, and neither are we. So, very similar blogs. I'm I'm excited about this because you know it sounds like we're very like-minded folks. Yeah, it's that public school education from both sides. <laughs> exactly. The uh, the head of our state systems, despite what uh, any of our rivals may want to say. I mean, we we are the headliner. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So we're just going to talk football. Um, we
1: have a game coming up. Uh, on september 1st uh it's the return game here in berkeley uh, of course last year the bears went to unc and, and beat them uh and now we're back here to start off the season and hopefully sunny california i mean the weather hasn't been that great recently but um i'm just hoping for cool cool 60 with sun with sunshine for a 1 p.m kickoff game so hopefully that's what you guys get to enjoy out here is is that normal? That is that is it's uh, it's it's 60s pretty it's like low 60s to mid 60s I'd say is your average temperature here in Berkeley as it gets closer to the wintertime it'll it'll dip below it uh, but not
3: too far down. Well Chad you
2: have a great visit out there then when you head out there. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I've I've got to rethink my packing strategy, um, <laughs> Rob. I guess my first I, I guess my first question for you is: uh, Are the fires going to uh, interfere with any plans? I believe not. Uh, we haven't gotten any warnings with
1: air quality control or any of that sort. Um, I believe the air quality is not like a hundred percent great, uh, but it's not as bad as I don't know if you guys remember this, but our game against Washington State on Friday night last season it was the index it was like close to like 180 or 200 for us and that's like right i think the ncaa says at 250 is when you consider postponing the game and we were sitting there like you know just 50 points off of their requirement which by any other standard we shouldn't have had that game um like a lot of the things that were around campus and some of the like street festivals and such around the bay area closed due to poor uh air quality but yet we had that game so i highly doubt we're gonna get even close to reaching what happened during that washington state freaky friday game
3: well given the result of that i'm assuming you're uh you're happy that the game went on as planned
1: well yeah i mean i was i was sitting in the press box so you know i didn't really get the full like blunt of sitting there for four hours under bad weather conditions but I there were still fans out there with masks on watching the game and of course we dominated a top 10 team at home
3: So, I I mean I think you'll take it That's right. That's right. I mean things could be worse and you know as as a unc fan I was kind of proud to have lost y'all when I when I got to watch that game on uh, national television, but you know Very very short-lived pride as far as uh, unc season went last year yeah so let me let me ask you guys about that. Um, you guys had
1: of course some some issues uh, stemming from some violations that happened a few weeks ago and And from there, how do you see this team you know mentally being prepared into game one?
2: I'll take that one first. Um, i I think the suspensions uh, have been overblown uh, or for a few reasons. Uh, I wouldn't really worry about the mentality um, about Carolina coming into it. Most of the suspensions were second and third stringers. Uh, It'll affect depth a little bit, but we won't see those effects until later in the season. Um, And there were three defensive ends that were caught up in that. And they actually have been they have staggered their suspensions. Uh, For the health and welfare of the student-athlete, the NCAA allows schools to stagger suspensions if there's too many at one position. And so our two two first stringers, uh, Taman Fox and Malik Carney, uh, will end up uh, starting against uh, California. So uh, as far as those go for the California game, it should have minimal impact.
3: Yeah. And uh, Rob, I know I mentioned this to you just in our email thread, as we were planning this uh, podcast extrav- extravaganza. It, it underscores the importance of the Cal game to the coaching staff that they uh, requested that waiver to get both Fox and Carney on the field for the Cal game, because the only other three games they have uh, together, uh, two of those are going to be Duke and NC state at the end of the year. So, I don't know if they have it circled as a game because UNC has historically been awful in Power 5 openers, but or or if uh, Carolina's coaching staff just wants a revenge game against, you know, what I would consider an opponent on par with uh, the UNC program at this current juncture, but they definitely have this game highlighted to where, you know, they wanted their two studs out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was... Very surprising from our end, too, seeing all that news and seeing how they staggered it. And it just, yeah, I I mean, if you look at the players, I think the first thing that comes to mind, as you guys told me, was that they weren't going to be too much of an impact player. But for the average fan that just sees the news, they see, you know, that like uh, 12 players or whatever X number of players suspended. And they won't be playing the Cal game. I know a lot of Cal fans were. All right, yeah. Let's let's just wrap it up. I think we're gonna handily win this game. But with the with the staggering the suspensions, uh, definitely not. I mean, you know, the defensively, that's the issue, right? for For us is our offense, and you're, and for you guys, you bring you get all your defensive players, but our offense is gonna have a lot of question marks going into that first game, and uh, to go up against a you know somewhat veteran defense it's, it's going to be tough uh, for our offense to to maybe get into some groove
3: yeah and to your point i mean this is not our first rodeo with uh, a whole lot of suspensions before a season opener <laughs> uh, um back in 2011 2010. when 2010 it was 2010 i'm i'm getting old um we had what was going to be our best team under butch davis uh bruce feldman wrote a post-mortem on saying that team at full strength could have beaten Cam Newton's Auburn team. Um, I think about that every day before I go to bed, and it makes me extremely sad. But, um, you know, the fact that uh, that Carolina's, uh, their compliance department got out in front of it and the coaching staff knows who's going to be available, who's not going to be available, it's kind of a different vibe. Um, I would say if there's another big suspension for UNC, um, Chaz Surratt, split time at quarterback. Within there's a guy, Jordan Tucker. He was coming into fall camp basically as the third offensive tackle. So um, with UNC's injury prob- problems last year, um, if William Sweet or Charlie Heck, uh, their bookend tackles, if one of them goes down, then Carolina might be scrambling for a little bit of help there. Man, yeah. Um... Depth,
1: depth issues, I mean, we've dealt with that for, for quite a while, but, I mean, I guess we'll, I'll talk about my team for a little bit, is that I think the depth issue for us, that's the one thing that we don't have to worry about anymore. Wilcox has done a great job of recruiting and developing enough talent around, God, every every position um, that the, just you're watching practice and you're going, all right, like, if the first one or two guys go down, we got, we got some talent behind them. So, um, for us, you know, in, in that sense, I think we'll, we'll be all right, but there's still some areas that we have question marks about the starters. So, um,
3: we'll bend. Yeah, go ahead. I, yeah. I guess I'll just dive into this since I don't know. Um, obviously y'all lost Demetrius Robertson, um, as a person who got a master's degree from UGA, uh, those people are very ecstatic about uh, that signing. They feel like it's just two years overdue. Um, I've also heard rumors about Vic Wharton's uh, availability for Week One. Uh, what's what's the current status of him? Because I mean, he just absolutely murdered us last year. Vic, uh, according to
1: Coach, and of, you know, this coaching staff has done a. I mean, from a media perspective. Terrible because we'll never get any good sound bites But from the athletics department Perspective and from the program He's done a great job of making sure everything's Under wraps Um, even with injuries He'll just say oh you know he's nicked up He'll be back whenever he's back Um, We never get real Real like Noteworthy uh, reports about Anything when asked about Vic Warden A couple weeks ago uh, coach Said that he's just working some stuff out off Off of the field um, and that he'll be back Whenever he's back He came back to practice last week, scrimmaged all of Saturday or uh, Saturday. This past Saturday was our final fall camp practice. He scrimmaged the entire time. He's getting into game shape, but he still has two weeks to do that. Um, But I
3: think, yeah, he'll be he'll be ready to go come September 1st. So he'll burn us for another 160 yards. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. fedora has a history of being tight lipped, which um, I guess you can now relate to just as far as that goes, you know, guys would just disappear and then they would not show up on the injury report. And then three weeks later, they'd be out for the season. But um, the other fedora historical fact is that receivers who are just kind of the slot guys that can run a drag route, just absolutely murder his teams. Uh, Wharton was a prime example of that last year. So um, I'd love for him not to play. (laughs) I mean, <laughs> I'll throw that out there. I will say this: even if, if if that's the
1: way you beat a fedora defense, there's more than just Warden that can do that
2: on this roster. That's that how was. you beat a fedora defense. Yep. Everyone <laughs> talks about not being able to to stop the run. The, the the problem historically has been the inability for our linebackers to cover across the field. Um, and we have a we, we also have a we assume is going to be Jonathan Smith, uh, a junior starting at middle linebacker. He started a few games last year. Um, It seemed to maybe have come on late in the year. Uh, But if you're looking for a way to, to, for California to exploit Carolina's defense, the tried and true method is run the drag route across the middle or run the wheel wheel route out of the backfield and force our linebackers to match up Uh, with you guys having some of those receiver issues. uh, Who else do you have that, that we may need to be on the lookout for, uh, that may they may use those methods to to break our hearts.
1: So as you guys said, Demetrius Robertson no longer with us, um, and of course we also lost Melky Stovall, who was a, a four-star U.S. Army All-American, uh, played with us for two about pretty much a year. Spent all of the last year back and forth. There were a lot of there were a lot of things said whether he was didn't get along with the coaching staff or he was injured. We never really found out. And he uh, left the program. I think he's at a junior college, I think, in Arizona. Uh, but we lost some top-tier guys in terms of that at that position that Sonny had brought in before Wilcox. And so now we're trying to replace their ability um, with the likes of Vic Warden and Conovai Noah. Um, and then, of course, the wide receivers behind them, which is Jeremiah Hawkins, um, who is really fast he's a really really fast dude <laughs> um and then behind him you got a freshman uh four-star wide receiver from modern day nico remigio um he's looked good all of camp and then the other wide receiver that most people need to look out for is we got a grad transfer in from michigan by the name of mo ways so we're saying every time he scores we're just going to say mo ways to score touchdowns ha 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 um but got him yep uh, he has he has made quite uh, the impact uh, over the summer and over uh, fall camp. He's apparently been working with Ross Bowers, who was our starter against you guys last season, um, all over you know the summer, calling him, getting, trying to get that repertoire in between him and figuring out where he likes certain throws on certain uh, routes. And that chemistry has looked pretty good out on the field. Um, other than wide receiver, I think the big thing that a lot of Cal fans are talking about is the rejuvenation of the tight end position. We haven't had a tight end position really under Sunny Dykes, and now the first year under Wilcox, we had to change some guys from you know from wide receiver to tight end and so on. Now we have a good ten to yeah, about ten guys that are in that room, and about five of them can really really play. Uh, the cream of the crop there of course, is uh, the grad transfer from Michigan so we got two Michigan grad transfers Ian Bunting uh, He's like six foot close to six foot six um, can run can block you you throw a ball up to him anywhere over the middle and he's gonna come down with it i you know I don't think there are a lot of teams in college football that can have you know, middle linebackers over six foot three, nor do they have safeties that are that can guard a six foot seven tight end. So I think that's the way you're gonna see our offense, you know, move the chains a lot too is through our tight ends and, and their physicality.
3: And I'll just uh cape up to being a Bo Baldwin uh, fanboy back to his time at Eastern Washington. Uh you know, he put a scare into Oregon one year, uh beat Washington State I believe, beat yep. Oregon State a few times. Um you know, I be, Bowers was obviously really green last year, but your running back Patrick Laird uh, just went on a tear through November. Basically, what what started clicking for the running back position for y'all?
1: Well, I think last year we no one had any idea Laird was going to have that type of season. Um, we had our two starters in and Wary and Trey Watson. Trey goes down second game of the season and we needed a speed back and a guy who can play the first two, two three downs and we gave Laird a shot and he's performed amazingly became a was a walk-on now he's a scholarship player in, in his senior year um, so that's cemented I mean he is without a doubt our number one running back and if you see him at practice or you know with post game interviews the guy has bulked up as well. He's de- he's definitely gained some muscle. I don't know what our strength and conditioning coach is doing to those guys, but man, he has gotten he has gotten very very jacked. And uh I think he's going to surprise some people with some things that he wasn't able to do last year. I think he's going to have a little bit more breakaway speed. You're going to see maybe a little more power with him being able to truck some guys. Uh, but the question mark for us is behind him. I mean, we have about we have eight running backs and I've said this to, to everyone who's asked about this backup running back spot is I can legitimately make a case for any of those seven other guys to be the backup. They all bring a different skill set. They all do something different and they're all physically different as well. Um, so, I, you know, we have, we still haven't received the depth chart for our, for our team. So we have no idea who's gonna be behind Patrick Laird. All we know is running back one is gonna be Patrick Laird and then running back two might be just three, four guys, let's say or 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 after them
3: man, I mean the uh, parallels to fedora and um it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so true so yeah. True. I mean- yeah and Laird averaged uh I mean the last three games of the season we went 33 carries for 214 20 for 153 and 32 for 178 so I mean we would have to assume that that's basically the guy unless he uh, blows a tire um so I'm, I'm not going to ask you to sort through the ores because you know time is a finite construct here uh you'll also return five guys on the offensive line um yep who's who's the bell cow there and then uh since i've kind of asked a lot of questions here i will let you kick it back to us (laughs) uh yeah our o-line definitely is our strength we bring back all the entire
1: starting line um and then we also bring in a crap ton of good freshmen as well led by of course um probably i'm gonna say it now future first round left tackle will craig uh, he was a four-star O lineman from California, just up the just up the street in Marin County, um, and the dude is is amazing. He's really good. And Steve Greatwood, who's our offensive line coach, of course, coached at Oregon um, under Chip Kelly and all there, and did great things with that offensive line. Is our offensive line coach when Wilcox came in, so he's been doing great things with the entire O line. And I I don't know if there's one bell cow, the one guy that's going to make this offensive line tick is Addison Ooms, who's our senior center. Um, he has done a phenomenal job going from a walk-on all the way to being the starter, and then, of course, a scholarship uh, athlete. So him being able to call out the blitzes, making the right adjustments on the pass protection, and, and learning, you know, um, just, the little, just adding to what Ross is going to be calling from behind him, I think it's going to be huge for us uh he's said uh was it a couple of days ago at practice they asked him about how much he loves in the doing the run game now more than the pass game under sunny because you know of course the air raid offense and we rarely ran the ball uh, and he said the offensive line has fully enjoyed running the ball they love getting out they love you know blocking guys to get in space rather than you know having to step back and and uh pass protect so yeah i think addison Ooms is the guy that everyone needs to look out for at center and he's gonna help this offensive line get as far as we need to go
3: i like it um jake while we're breaking down offenses uh do you have a question for rob on you know well, I guess, I guess Rob, I'll kick to you first. Uh, what do you see from the offensive uh, profile on UNC that scares you? Yeah, so I wanted to ask you guys. I mean, uh, from what I understand, you guys just lost
1: a running back uh, this this week, last week, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering for you guys where where does that stand? I mean, this is two weeks before the season starts, and you lose a guy that pretty much torched our defense in terms of running last last time we met. Um, so, yeah the run
3: game yeah, you want Lawrence, to first? you got it. <laughs> um yeah, I'll okay. take it. Well, um, uh, well, well, actually well, I will take it because I'm a Michael Carter fanboy. Um <laughs> <laughs> Michael Carter is an absolute beast. You know, he's kind of one of these uh 5'10, 190 backs, but what he does so well is uh wait patiently behind his line and figure out what hole he's going to take and then he hits it and he hits it hard. Um You saw that I think on his first career carry, he took it fifty-four yards, basically, you know, across midfield to with it to inside y'all's five for our first touchdown. When, if we're talking about grad transfers for a second, um, they don't always work out, as we saw with uh, the quarterback situation last year. Anyway, um, I digress. Um, Behind, and I wouldn't really say behind Carter. He kind of split carries with Jordan Brown, who is a a true sophomore. He's one of Jake's favorites. I'll kick that back to him in a second. And then uh, UNC got a guy, a former four star. He was uh, third string at Ohio state behind uh, JK Dobbins and Mike Weber uh, last year in Antonio Williams. He's immediately eligible to play this year. Um, the report from the first scrimmage was that he was in line to be the starter. So if he overtook both Brown and Carter, both of whom were very good behind a patchwork offensive line last year, then that just kind of speaks to his talent. So, we're pretty excited about the running back core. Uh, Jake, your takes on Jordan Brown, because I know he's your dude.
2: Yeah, Jordan Brown was kind of my guy to watch this year. Um, uh, as Chad said, he's a sophomore. Uh, losing Michael Carter hurts, but it's not a game, it's not really a, a, a deal breaker because we have so much step, the running back. Um, Antonio Williams, of course, uh, it continues uh, he continues to, to impress and was likely going to take, take the number one, number one spot. The deal though, with the way Fedora runs it though, is that either he doesn't remember that he has running backs or he has no method at all on how he decides to use them. Um, and we had a guy named Elijah hood who's now with the Panthers, I believe in, in their preseason squad. Um, was in all everything as a sophomore but he would disappear for stretches and not because he you know chose uh, decided upon himself to disappear but like he'd be on the sideline and fans would be wondering where he was and then the coaching staff never had an answer for him so it's it's hard to tell what to, what to expect as far as that goes but so you're probably going to see a lot of different looks and quite a few different running backs throughout the day the thing that gets me excited about Jordan Brown, though, is his pass-catching ability. He, he's not spectacular as a runner, but he's solid. Uh, and he can pound out yards. He's, he's tough. He's hard to bring down. He's not as explosive. But he also, I think, was our – I think he was second on the team in receptions last year and, like, fourth in receiving yards. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I think that's what it was. So, especially with a quarterback like, like, like uh, Nathan Elliott, who by all accounts has made great strides from last year – Nathan Elliott, though, is really more of a game manager. He's not going to really beat you downfield a whole lot. He's going to have trouble making some of the precision throws you need along the sideline. So he's going to need a safety valve there out on the flat or running across the middle. And I think that's where Jordan Brown has the ability to, to, to really make a name for himself this year and, and carve out a role in the offense. And uh, It's a different element than just take the ball and, and run the way Williams does or Carter does. Uh, and so I think from the running back situation, the running back position, that's kind of something to look at. If you're, if you're a Cal fan, um, you know, watch for that out of the backfield because Carolina loves to run, run receivers out of the slot. Uh, we had Michael, uh, not uh, with Switzer, uh, sorry, I blanked for a minute. We had Switzer a few years ago. Uh, and then last year we didn't really have anybody because of injuries, uh, and so this year, I think you're going to see a return to that uh, the slot area, uh, or out of the flat, and 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 across the middle with the running backs.
3: Yeah, and yeah. I guess just I guess to piggyback just on to that take a little bit more, the... Antonio Williams is yes. just an extremely balanced back. Um, you know, he's going to do a little bit of everything. He's not your fastest guy. And is this breaking up as bad on y'all's end as it is on mine? No, no. I think you're good. okay. Good. Okay. Okay. I just got a little feedback on my side, um, but you know, I mean, he's basically six foot, 210 pounds, just a standard guy, but um, has incredible vision and ridiculous balance. Just from clips of him, I saw unlimited action uh, early in the season last year before uh, Dobbins really established himself at Ohio state. I'm really excited about what he's going to be able to do in space. Just, you know, based on the fact that UNC is going to have guys out wide and uh, you know, they're, they're going to be facing a six-man front. Uh, Williams is going to be problematic because of his combination of size and speed. And then to Jake's point, you know, UNC has not really run the slot receiver uh, since Ryan Switzer left, but they've got two guys in Daz Newsom and uh, Rontavius. Uh, we call him toe Groves. Both of them are extremely explosive athletes and the type of guys that You'll see the ball on a jet sweep or a a quick shovel that basically they're going to be one cut either inside or outside the defensive end on the unprotected side, and they could either take it at the house or lose six yards on any given play. So uh, the UNC run game is going to be, you know, on one hand, it's going to be a little bit more predictable. On the other hand, it's going to be potentially explosive. Okay. And you guys both kind of, I wanted to, to
1: transition from that, and you guys kind of talked about it as your quarterback situation. I mean the big the big thing was we played against a, a two QB system when we played you guys, and then it looked like Chaz Surratt was coming on at least towards the end of our game, uh, like as you know cementing himself as as the guy. He can't play against us um, in two weeks. But where do you see Nathan Elliott, and how what? Yeah, well, so so I'll ask the question this way: What does he need to do to be successful when he comes, you know, on a road
3: game as his first start for the season? So I guess I'll take this because Jake and I have had a long storied um, history in our Slack channel of him being a Chaz Surratt guy <laughs> and me being a Nathan Elliott guy. Um, what Elliott's going to do is basically not get you beat. So. You know, he, he doesn't have the arm strength to really push the ball downfield. And, you know, he had uh, middling numbers, but he was thrown into duty in the Miami game, ended up throwing four picks. Uh, we didn't really hold that against him. But what he did was kind of have the team rally behind him after that. So UNC picked up a win against Pitt that nobody was really expecting late in the season. Um, blew out Western Carolina and then was competitive with NC State. Uh, Elliott's just basically not going to lose you the game and anything short to intermediate he's going to throw with really good accuracy and kind of underwhelming zip on the ball so picture I guess picture your best FCS quarterback that does not have the measurables to uh, play at the power five level but he also has the intangible leadership qualities that you know one would look for so I don't know he's a very good try hard who has enough skill position players around him to succeed.
2: I think you hit on that at the very end there too, Chad is that when, when he came in last year um, he didn't really have a lot of skill position players around him. Um, he never had a fully functional offensive line or a fully functional receiving core um, the way he does now. Uh, and the other thing is uh, we've talked about on the Carolina side a lot is both of our quarterbacks last year, Elliot and Surratt, not not counting Harris were thrown into the fire a year ahead of schedule. So what we saw last year was, were two players who who were not anticipating really challenging for the position until this year. So they kind of got a, they kind of got a freebie year, which wasn't really a freebie year in a way and how that worked out. So now they fully functional receiving core. And really it's a stacked receiving core. Um, and some, some veterans on the offensive line and the backfield we talked about, uh, Chad said it right. That he just, he just doesn't. Don't turn the ball over, and make the right read or the right decision. Know when to run, know when to eat it, and know when to throw it away. And if he can do those three things, um, then then everything else is going to open up just fine. Uh, he he has an uncanny ability. He kind of he has a decent awareness in the pocket, but he just doesn't have the arm strength to to make a play that, that isn't there. Uh, and that's really what he's missing, I think. To to, that would ease our fan base a little bit if we saw something of that nature, which we probably won't. So, his his calling card is just going to have to be protect the
3: ball first and foremost. And just to uh, follow up on that, you know, like I said, he was kind of pressing to do it against Miami. He did not try to force throws, but uh, Carolina was down late, so he did end up throwing a few picks. He ran the ball 21 times in that game for 79 yards. You know, he, he's not a guy that's going to beat you with his feet, but uh, in, in Carolina's system, which is so inside zone oriented to have a guy that can pick up four to five yards of carry just to keep you ahead of the chains. It's going to be important. But just the fact that he realized, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, I don't have a good read on this defense. I know they're more talented than my team and I'm running for my life. Um, he just tugged the ball and carried it and just picked up what he could in that game. And that's kind of emblematic of the type of, type of leader was, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was, I wasn't going to go cliche and say leadership. I was just going to say the type of player that Nathan Elliott is. I mean, he's just one of those mentality guys that, you know, he's not going to win you a national championship, but he can win you eight games. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what I wanted to know. <laughs> um, Perfect. So, uh, do not get that information, from Justin Wilcox. <laughs> I'm sure
1: I'm sure he's not listening to this podcast. Yeah, that's yeah, he's probably not. <laughs> um, let's slowly move on to the other side of the ball. Or do you guys have a couple more questions for me about our offense?
2: Nah, let's
3: move over to defense. Um, well real quick jake or jake uh rob i would ask you just uh what what the overall vibe on ross bowers was because obviously he torched us um you know a lot of that was what we talked about earlier with guys being really good at uh drag routes and you know i i, I seem to recall a 65 yard touchdown pass right after uh kind of uh it, it wasn't a question but it was just a stupid uh roughing the passer penalty yeah but um so, I mean, just overall thoughts on Ross Bowers. Is this a situation where he's potentially replaceable or was that just a sophomore who had never seen live action, you know, learning a new offense? So I'll give this to you answer twofold. The first part is
1: the, the media and the, the, the rational response to this is that, yes, we saw a guy who had never started a game before. His only action ever before that was handing the ball off in a blowout game the season before. Um, so Sonny didn't real, d- do a real good job of uh, developing or giving some playing time, some snaps to the guys behind, you know, the likes of Jared Goff and Davis Webb who are now in the NFL. Um, that being said, you know, the, the biggest qualm a lot of people have is how much our quarterbacks developed. Um, and for me, it looks like he's the starter. I don't see why you would change that. Um, but Wilcox did leave the door open. For a quarterback battle, and I'm pretty sure he left it open for competitive reasons too, to make sure the guys be behind him are able to push him, and you know, with that fire and that that twinkle in their eye, because their head coach just said, "Yeah, everyone's got a shot for any position." Um, so you saw that all throughout fall camp. Um, you saw Brandon McElwain who's a former four-star dual-threat quarterback, was at South Carolina, came to us, sat out last year, and now is eligible. He started pushing. Uh, Redshirt freshman uh, Chase Garbers, towards the end of fall camp, started pushing. But you know the his Ross's command of the offense was amazing. He's telling guys where he need where they need to be, why they ran the wrong route. You know he who needs to be in this area, why he needs to make his cut out of his break harder because that opens up you know the dig route and and all that. Like it, he knows exactly what he wants to do. Um, and he said that in press in conference or in uh, media availability where he said he spent a lot of time with offensive coordinator Bull Baldwin and also quarterback's coach um Sopo and just trying to figure out and try to trying to be that third brain, that third offensive brain on the field at all times. And that's definitely evident. You know, but as the fan side of this is that as soon as Wilcox said that Position is open. Everyone started clamoring for Brandon McIlwain. He's he's electric. He can do a lot. That's what I was going to ask about. Yep, he's electric. He can do a lot with his feet. Every I'm not going to lie. Every time in practice, when he touches the ball, you know your your butt kind of comes off your seat because you're kind of like, what is he going to do now? Um, is he going to rip off a forty-five yard bomb? Is he going to do the whole Russell Wilson spin off his shoulder? You know, go go to the other side, throw across his body for like you know, and and across the field for that forty-five yard you know touchdown run. You you just don't know. Like he's he's that electric. Um, the only thing was with him was his consistency, but at the same time, he offers us a lot more when a play breaks down versus what Ross does, which is he's smart, runs out, throws it away. So that's what the fans clamored for because all of our all of the media guys, you know, of course, we have to report on what we see, and Malcolm could do that. So the fans wanted him in, but for me, and I've said this to everyone who's ever asked me about who our who they think our quarterback should be is. You know, it's exactly what you guys just said about Nathan Elliott. We were spoiled for four years. We were spoiled with Jared Goff being there for three years. We were also spoiled with grad transfer Davis Webb being there. We we were spoiled with an NFL caliber quarterback who could make every single NFL throw necessary on a field um, and to keep our offense going. We're now reverting back to pretty much average college quarterback, and because that's not up to par to what people saw, people want you know you have the angry mob with the pitchforks every time something that offense doesn't click or it doesn't go right um and i think people need to get that memory out of their head um and revert back to the years before then when we had an average quarterback and you'll remember that's that's the standard um and yeah so i think i i still think it'll be ross come opening day i don't know they'll even tell us by opening day if ross is the starter or not but i'm i'm fully under the suspicion that ross will be the starter
3: yeah and we we've been spoiled by a decade of um nfl caliber quarterbacks from tj yates to Bryn renner to marquise williams to mitch Trubisky, so we know that feeling and last year was definitely a culture shock uh, like jake said those guys were supposed to be three and four on the depth chart coming into last year So we know that feel. Um, McIlwain just scares me as kind of your prototypical Bo Baldwin, Vernon Adams-type quarterback. Yep. To where they they roll the pocket and you don't really know what to expect. That's my final thought. Uh, Jake, do we want to do any more kind of scary comparisons between Cal and Carolina's quarterback situation at this point?
2: There are. I think the teams are are more similar than – I thought they were similar last year. And I think they're even more similar going into this year um, as we break it down. But I don't really have anything to add to, to any of that right now. All
3: right. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I guess, uh, Rob, I'll kick it to you first. Tell me who you should be watching out for on this defense. I mean, Justin Wilcox is, you know, he is a revered defensive coordinator of Wisconsin. Um I mean, that's enough for me. I mean, if you look at the resume of Wisconsin defensive coordinators, they always put out guys who are awesome. And I appreciated his, you know, appreciation for the modern game by hiring Bo Baldwin away. I thought that was a fantastic hire. But just um, from a defensive philosophy standpoint, you know, what does Cal do to limit offenses? Well, I'll start with some breaking
1: news here. Uh, I have just found out that our inside linebacker, who would have either been the starter or on the two deep, uh, just medically retired. So we're gonna we're gonna be one short on the two deep in terms of who we expected. So that's Garen Brown. Garen was uh, played at Modern Day High School, went to Washington as a walk on, and then came down and played for us so he played all of last year he was number 41 uh, made some great plays but yeah so that's that's the breaking news right now that being said going back to our defense as a whole um i think the the biggest question mark for us was how are we going to replace D, our d-line guys we lost uh, McCarry who was a senior we lost um looney who's now in the nfl playing for the packers and so we lost two guys who were stalwarts on that defensive line for a very, very long time. Now, the the system that Tim DeReuter and you know Wilcox is trying to set up here is very Vaughn Miller, Texas A&M type of system, where you have that hybrid offensive, uh, outside linebacker who does everything. And you have no idea whether he's going to blitz, whether he's going to go back in coverage, whether he's going to spy um that's just how the de- the defense is set up so that's the position i think that most north carolina fans need to watch is who is the outside linebacker and if is he effective in pass rushing because once he's effective in pass rushing that's going to throw a lot of offensive lines into whack because every time he puts his hand in the ground and is on the edge they're going to expect him to blitz but he'll pick it right up and he'll he'll be you know covering over the middle and quarterbacks just are going to forget that oh, he's not he's not blitzing. Um, so that's the position I think everyone needs to watch. And the name you need to watch for that position is Cam Good, uh, number nineteen. Uh, he's been spectacular. I mean, as you said, we bring back our entire O line, but he's been beating guys off the edge again and again and again. Um, he's bulked up. He's got. I feel like he's gotten faster. Um, and he's batting balls down at the line of scrimmage as well you know so and he has enough size now that he can set the edge and that's i think one thing that we missed all of last year is when we got to teams that power ran the ball and sometimes you know our defensive line would just hold the middle if someone tried to uh you know break it back outside we didn't have that guy on the outside that could set the edge and force him back in i think now we have a few of those guys that can do that um yeah
3: and I was going to ask you about good specifically so uh Jake I'm going to kick it to you
2: yeah uh aside from your your sudden uh gap there at linebacker um where do you think the your defense can be exploited uh throughout an entire Saturday afternoon where's their weak spot that a team could could look to hammer um uh if, if they were looking I don't know to run the score up in the second half if they really wanted to I
1: I think as I just said, the the middle of the defensive line. I think the biggest issue is we have a bunch of guys there that can play. It's just a matter of the experience. And if you're if especially early on in the season, if you're gonna run it up the middle and you get a little bit of push from your offensive line, there's gonna be a lot of holes uh there to exploit. And so I think that's that's the part that you're gonna have to or that offenses are gonna have to key in on in order to, to beat this Cal defense. Which
3: all Cal fans expect to be pretty dang good this year. Okay, and and y'all improved from one twenty second in yards per one hundred and twenty second yards per play because uh, you know Sonny Dykes kind of fits that mold that defense isn't important because we're going to outscore you uh, to eightieth last year. Um looks like I mean y'all y'all were a little weaker against the pass uh than the run but y'all bring back your entire secondary um what are the names to look out for there because what I'm seeing is Elijah Hicks sophomore Cameron Bynum sophomore Jalen Hawkins junior Ashton Davis junior um you know obviously it was a young secondary um has anybody taken a step up or is that still a point of weakness because you know one name that has not been mentioned on this podcast at all is Anthony Ratliff Williams, who, by all accounts, I mean carried UNT's offense last year.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, funny. The funniest part about this is that most of us believe our secondary is going to be the strength of this team. Um, they, you know, Coach Gerald Alexander, who played at Boise State for Wilcox, and then also played in the league is our secondary coach, um, and he's made it a point of emphasis to make the secondary the strength of this defense. He. He's recruiting guys, and he's teaching guys to play as if, you know, the mold is the Seattle Seahawks secondary. And, of course, we're, in college football, we're never going to reach those heights, but that's the mentality that he's instilled in all of them, and that's the mentality that they play with. They play with so much swagger, so much trash-talking, but they, that's, that's how they play. That's part of their game. Um, and as you said, it's very young, a lot of sophomores and juniors, but all of them played last year. All of them started last year, and I think that was the biggest jump for them. Is that they were they were thrown in the fire, they came out stronger, and they're only going to get better from this point on. You look at the you look at the cornerbacks, and of course, you just mentioned their names and Elijah Hicks and and Cam Bynum. Cam Bynum is the one to watch. Um, Elijah Hicks was more touted coming out of high school, and that's not a knock to say that he's not good. Elijah Hicks is pretty dang amazing. But Cam Bynum is that lockdown corner for that side of the field. And I'm very intrigued to see our first game, too, because I'm totally unsure of how they're going to use him. Whether we're going to play sides, splitting this field down in half, or are we going to have them play on matchups and be working on a different sides of the field at any given time? Um, so, yeah, I think the secondary is is going to be huge, huge strength to this defense. I think a lot of teams are going to have a very tough time uh, throwing against them. And the big thing for us is the, the X Factor name is Evan Rambo, a four-star athlete, two knee surgeries on the same knee, but he's finally back. He looks 100%. Um, there were a couple plays over the last couple weeks that he made that just jaw-dropping. Uh, there was one um, I'll just – it, it was a, a throw to a tight end. He came down from the safety position, met the tight end as soon as the tight end had made the catch, ripped the ball from his hand, spun off of him, and was on his way to the other into the other end zone. Um, and it's plays like that that we expected of him. And he's he's like a six foot four or five safety. You know, you don't come across those a lot either. And so I think, yeah, yeah the
3: the safety in the DB position is going to be huge for us. And reading between the lines at corner, um, you know, you said Hicks was a little more highly touted. Uh, He only had three pass breakups last year. Uh, Given that we had MJ Stewart, he was a second round pick by the Buccaneers last year. You know, we we know teams tend to throw away from people while uh, Bynum had 10 passes defense. So, you know, clearly he's the guy that they're attacking a little bit more, which, you know, on, on a certain level is going to give you more film to say hey he made a really good play here but also could give you a little bit more film on hey he got burnt here um, you know is, is anybody getting burnt consistently uh,
1: from from all the practices we saw um, no uh, it's been more of a he'll give up a play here he'll give up a play there but he'll come back and he'll make an interception on the next one or he'll, or he'll make a pass breakup on the next one um, there's a, a, a for they've been doing this like bear vision uh youtube and instagram thing from cal athletics i highly recommend some people go watch that that gives you a little insight into who our star players for every position is and they kind of talk about what they did this off season and how they improved from from last season as well and you know they of course they they talk about hicks and and bynum and and hawkins in there so yeah those yeah those guys are going to be good and i i totally agree with you on there is that they're going to be tested they're going to be tested early and often of course they've only been playing our offensive guys for the last eight months so now they're going to have to play another team and that's when we'll really see if there's been a real improvement or if it's just the fact that they've been playing against the same guys that they can they can win those matchups
3: I like it. Well, um, as far as the UNC defense goes, and you know, just realizing we're, you know, we're running a little bit long on the East Coast. I know uh, some of us have uh, other obligations to attend to. Not myself personally. That
2: would <laughs> but, that would be me. So I have a one month old, so I got about five minutes left, guys.
3: No worries, we can bang this up. Oh yeah, so so we've uh, mentioned the UNC defensive ends. Um, the strength of this defense should, and I. I emphasize emphasize pray for should be the defensive line as a whole Uh, Carney's a senior he's an all ACC caliber player Uh, Fox has all the tools to be that way as well and on the on the interior you've got Aaron Crawford who again is a guy he's probably an NFL draft pick this coming year and then names Jason Strobridge Jalen Dalton of the uh, stupid uh, roughing the passer penalty I mentioned last year Yep. Um, Jeremiah Clark, uh, I already mentioned Stroybridge, but UNC runs a pretty solid two deep on the defensive line. Um, having said that, you know, I mean, hopefully that's going to limit what Laird can do to a certain extent, but the back seven, I guess, becomes a question mark. So, uh, what, what do you see on our back seven that you need to run by us? Well, I just wanted to ask you guys where do you think the
1: strength of your defense is going to lie? Um, and I guess you kind of answered that, but if you don't mind going a little bit more specific, because I know for us, when we were doing the preview for you guys last year is the middle linebackers look to be probably the biggest strength for that, for that defense. Um, but you lost, you know, your starter to the NFL and, and, and a couple others. So, yeah, you know, where does the strength of this defense lie and where should Cal fans be weary of us attacking?
2: I got something for that one, uh, Chad, um, <clears throat> The, the secondary, I think, is going to be there, – there's not a name that jumps out at you um, as far as secondary goes, but I, I think they're going to be better than the sum of their parts. Uh, and I think they're going to be a really, really strong unit. You've got K.J. Sales, who uh, is energetic, celebrates any little thing he can uh, that, that goes on, even if he's 40 yards away from, from the play. Uh, he's probably one of the emotional leaders on that uh, in the secondary. Uh, we've got Miles Dorn, who's coming back uh, at safety – um, who's just who's who's an athletic, just an athletic freak. Um, got lost at times last year in, in, in scheme and in coverage, but that was more of, a, of an experience thing than an athletic thing. Uh, Patrice Renee is going to be out on the edge. Um, he hasn't quite put together, but as a junior, he has the physical tools. And 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 all reports are and uh, everything that we have we have seen and we have heard indicate that that he's ready to step up into a into a productive role as well. So. I don't know if we have a if we have a first or second round draft pick in the secondary, but as a unit, they're all deep. Most of them are upperclassmen. we have some we have some uh, underclassmen who who have the talent and, and got some experience last year just because they had to. Um, and then we have one freshman, uh, Bryce, Bryson Richardson. Is it Bryson? Do I have that right, Chad? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Bryson Richardson. Uh, sometimes I want to call him Brian because I'm really bad with names. Um, who, who's, who's looking at coming in at the, the nickel uh, position as well, and is battling really hard there. So you know, when, when you have freshmen coming in and battling, it means two things: either you've recruited really well, or your or your, your current crop of players have not have not stepped up to the plate. I don't think. I don't think it's been a matter of our of lacking talent and lacking the ability to to play in the defensive backfield. I think we just have a couple freshmen that are going to be really, really good um, and be able to contribute. Um, And so if you're looking to attack anything, um, I would imagine that they're going to be tested early and often. Uh, And we're going to figure and we're going to find out pretty, pretty quickly early in the season, maybe as early as the Cal game, how good they really are. Uh, Because I think they I think MJ Stewart got all of the press the last couple of years. But I think I think as a unit, they are they are better than one person.
3: And in two two guys, Jake did not mention um, Miles Wolfolk is probably the best ball skills defensive back on the team. You know, whenever he was on the field, he was making plays as a retro freshman last year, um, had two picks and very limited duty. And then uh, J.K. Britt, JK Britt um, he's going to be the strong safety this year. He was not as good in run support as the guy he replaced, Donnie Miles, who was a four-year starter, um, basically a third linebacker in our nickel defense. But he is a whole lot better in coverage and is kind of a quarterback of that secondary. So, you know, I think what you're going to see is across the board, you're going to see a more balanced defensive secondary. Um, where I would see a potential weakness for UNC is going to be the linebacking core just because of the turnover. Uh, they bring back Cole Holcomb, who's, you know, you said y'all had some walk-ons. Um, he's a former walk-on coming into his third year as a starter. He's really fast for a former walk-on linebacker, but he's going to be a guy, Jonathan Smith, who Jake mentioned earlier. I think Jake might have just taken off. Um, And then UNC has a lot of young talent at linebacker, and that's going to be kind of the question mark as to who really steps up. Uh, We had a guy, Matthew Flint, kind of a late bloomer as a recruit. Uh, He was a Tennessee commit for a while and ended up switching over to UNC when Tommy Thigpen and uh, Henry Baker, their new secondary coaches, got in the fold. So, basically, I mean, what you're going to see, Rob, is there will be a couple of question marks in the back seven, and we'll see if uh, Bo Baldwin can figure out who those guys are to exploit because your answer is as good as mine right now.
1: All right, well, seems like we there's questions for both teams uh that's that needs to be answered um let's let's look a little big picture then i mean i've been doing some previews with some of the other teams that we're gonna be playing this year and one of the questions i wanted to ask was what is the expectation for this team this year
3: and i'll definitely fire this one right back at you because i'm (laughs) really intrigued by cal just uh even from a you know non-interested perspective if even if we we're continuing the streak of not playing each other that ended last year for UNC, you know, they were just derailed completely by injuries last year. Um, you didn't really see it so much in week one, but by week two or three, they ended up losing 13 starters for the season, which I mean, it, it was brutal. I mean, they played Duke in the fourth game of the season, lost three more starters. And at that point I, promise you that uh there was a folder of loose papers and i grabbed it and just threw it up in the air because i had nothing left um for unc the you know the expectation i know vegas has them at five and a half wins the expectation among unc fans is this should be back to a seven or eight win team the schedule is not that daunting but the cal game's just going to tell us a lot um i think i said it in my cal preview on tar hill blog if UNC wins this game, then eight or nine wins is within question. And if Cal and if Cal wins this game, it could be another four or five win season. It could be an exit strategy for Larry Fedora. Um, You know, I I think this game is that important to this program. And that's not something you normally say about a random uh, home and home with a team 3000 miles away. But uh, like I said, I got to kick it back to you because I'm, intrigued by Cal this year
1: um that's i think that's
3: hilarious just because
1: not the injuries but the vegas line for our squad as well is that five and a half um and you know that's the same expectation that we have it's that you know this team needs to win at least two out of the three off out of conference games and that will help this team maybe get back into that bowl game um i think I think going back to a bowl game and getting to that six-win mark for most fans is like that's that's a must for this upcoming season. Even last year, if you go back and look at a lot of our games, it came down to maybe one or two plays late in the third, uh, middle of the fourth that turned that game upside down, and f- you know we ended up losing, let's say, by two scores or so. But they were pretty much one-score games all throughout, and a couple of those things go our way, that ends up in a seven-and-five season instead of a
3: five-and-seven season. And, and, I mean, I, I just look at the second half of y'all's schedule, starting with that uh, aforementioned Washington State game. You know, Arizona, y'all lose by a point to Khalil Tate. Uh, Colorado, I can't tell you what happened, but y'all lost by 16 at Colorado. I feel like y'all are probably better than them. Uh, Oregon State. And then y'all lose by three at Stanford and then three at UCLA. You know, I, I – I think, I think these uh, programs are on similar trajectories to where both should expect to be a 7- or 8-win team, and that should make this Week 1 game really fun.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's the part that makes this interesting, right, is that this game for both programs can set the expectation, can set the mood, and can also set just the fan base like a light for the rest of the season, <clears throat> and especially going to at least for us week two against B at BYU, that's going to be a tough one for us. So for, <laughs> we, yeah, there's, there's uh there's a lot of optimism here, which is, which is weird because the, the trajectory of both programs at this point, I mean, let's say both programs ended at five and seven. I don't think a lot of us would be clamoring for Justin Wilcox's resignation. Um, there might be one or two, of course there's those outlandish fans, but it's from what you're saying. It does sound like that, you know, not not more the majority, but you know, somewhat close to fifty percent might be asking for a coaching change.
3: Well, five and seven for UNC would uh, represent, you know, kind of year two of a downward trend. You know, F- Fedora kind of caught fire with the 2015 team, where Marquise Williams was the perfect balance of a run-pass option quarterback, where you know, you had Elijah Hood and TJ Logan in the backfield. The team led the country in yards per play, you know, beating out teams like Oklahoma and Oregon, you know, the, the, the teams that are normally up there in that stat. Went 11-1 and one in the regular season, um, almost beat Clemson in the ACC championship game, and then laid an egg against Baylor uh, in the Russell Athletic Bowl. Next year, you bring in Mitch Trubisky. Um, he plays one year as a starter as the number two overall draft pick that team was eight and one going down the stretch and lost to NC state and Duke, then lost to Stanford in the sun Bowl, And you lose Trubisky early as one would, when you have the number two overall pick, you know, last year was a perfect storm of both rebuilding. And then the guys who you're expecting to rebuild around were lost to injury. So three and nine was an anomaly. And I do feel that way, but if this team doesn't get back to, And really, I think six and six puts Fedora as a borderline case, but uh, seven or eight wins should be the expectation at this point.
1: All right. So let me ask you this. What's the floor and what's the ceiling for this team?
3: Well, the floor is four and eight. You know, they've got uh, a game at ECU um, in week two where, you know, if UNC goes into Cal and loses and then loses to ECU, I have said many times, uh, both on air and off it, if UNC's 0-2 at the start of the season, Larry Fedora needs to get the uh, Lane Kiffin at UNC treatment. Or USC treatment. Just... Um, On the tarmac. Let him figure out his way home from Greenville to Chapel Hill, which is only a two-hour drive. I mean, he can get an Uber for that. But, you know, it, it, it basically comes down to what their player development is versus, you know, what their talent deployment is. And... UNC has the talent. I mean, they recruit basically at a top 25, 30 level, you know, basically the tier behind Clemson, Florida State, and Miami in the ACC. They are the top of that. You know, they're ahead of Virginia Tech. They're ahead of NC State. They're ahead of Louisville. It's a situation where you just need to see the results of, okay, you know, these guys can still go somewhere without generational talents at quarterback, and you need to see the the defense improve from – awful to average at least uh so your the offense that got you a p5 job in the first place can sustain you i guess so i mean it, it's a really interesting spot because hmm, let's see how, how do i put this mildly uh <laughs> fedora's comments at acc media days didn't really do anybody any favors yes. you know i mean I, I'm, I'm not i'm not gonna say he's Completely off base that uh, some of the some of the concussion research, you know, may be a little bit. I, I don't want to say misleading because that's going to sound like a hot take. Um, I just want to say that participation in football is kind of backing off in the way that uh Fedora's described. I don't think it's going to have anything to do with the uh, downfall of America, but what he did was just kind of shortened the leash that he has for this season to where, you know, in my opinion, eight wins or he should be looking for a new job. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you know, recency bias comes into play, but is kind of the standard he established in much more difficult situations under a seven-year NCAA investigation. So, you know, it's kind of a – I mean, it it just feels like a put-up or shut-up year. So those are all the uh, fiery takes that I've got on the Larry Fedora situation. Um, (laughs) You know, just with the way the schedule breaks out this year, you know, UNC misses Florida State and Clemson from the Atlantic Division. They get Syracuse instead. It just seems like a situation where – they should be primed for a bounce back season more so than a recovery season. Uh, where, where's the cow fan base? Because, you know, you're one under under Wilcox. I mean, like I said, there was market improvement in the second half of the season. And, you know, I, I would have to assume that there's unbridled optimism there.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't think despite, you know, how bad this seat or if this season goes badly, I still don't think a lot of people are going to be asking for Cox's resignation, as I said earlier. You know, of course, every fan base has those one or two people that are constantly asking for a head coaching change, which is weird because why would you ask for that every year? Uh, But, you know, this is the first year in a while that we haven't had a Friday night game. Thank the Lord. Um, All of our games are scheduled for Saturday. We have our schedule right now. I mean, it pretty much alternates between a home game and a and an away game. You know, in conference, it's home to Oregon, away at Arizona, home to UCLA, away at Oregon State, home to Washington, and then it's the little two way or two week home or away trip, which is at Washington State and then at USC. But then we come back home and we play Stanford in the big game, and then Colorado to end out the season. So it there's a great balance there where we're not stuck at home for four weeks, and then we're away on road trips for another four weeks and we're constantly going to be you know having a a week to reset at home the only qualm i have against the schedule for us is that our our uh, bye week is so early it's the week before oregon game which is our um our conference opener so it comes in week four and then we don't have a break um for the rest of the year so that's that's going to be a tough tough sell um to be able to play against these pac 12 teams week in and week out especially playing against the Pac-12 North and all those California schools that we play against every year. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, to to sum it up, you know, I think the floor for us, I think we stand at five games. I think the ceiling can get as, even as high as eight or nine. My personal expectation for the team is probably eight. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's just optimism. There, there's great optimism. I, everyone that I've talked to and have said you know as i said a couple plays and you look at the the games towards the end of the season last year a couple plays go our way we win those games and we would have played in a bowl game um even i mean for us really it came down to that ucla game and it just yeah we didn't even play rosen didn't even play but our offense just sputtered towards the end and they were knocking in you know long field goals as well so it i think that's that's that was just uh the luck of the draw uh for for that particular season so i think that's why this this season a lot of fans are expecting us to make that next step up uh from year one of wilcox which i think the biggest reason for that as well is because wilcox came in in a january and and had to scramble to get that first recruiting class in which he kept intact to a certain degree but he also lost a lot of guys that we expect it to be impact guys um, right away. So now he has his full first full recruiting class in now, and he's developed all those guys in year, for the last year and a half. And I think this is where we're going to start to see, like this is the program that Wilcox wants to run. This is the, the identity that we want on our offense, the identity we want in our defense, and just everything starts to sort itself out.
3: Yeah, I kind of have y'all pegged as a six or seven win team this year. Just, um, you know, peek behind the curtain. Um, BYU and Idaho State have his wins. Uh, UNC, as most pundits do, and I think we've discussed this ad nauseum, is probably a toss-up. Having that bye week before Oregon, just uh, figuring out what ball is going to run there is going to be interesting. And then y'all do have them at home. And then you know, at Arizona, I think Khalil Tate is enough of a toss-up type of, you know, phenomenon. Really, is what I'd call him yep. at this point. Um, but to where Arizona is the type of team that could be a six and six team, and Khalil Tate put up ridiculous numbers. I mean, you saw Lamar Jackson last year lay an egg in the bowl game against Mississippi State. I mean, you know that those type of uh, transcendent talents sometimes do get stuck on bad teams. So, you know, for me, to bridge the gap from six to eight wins, you know, you've got to hope that UCLA has not quite figured out their quarterback situation under Chip Kelly. Uh, Hope that Washington State's in turmoil by the first week in November and then, you know, basically take care of most of the home schedule aside from eh, Washington, Stanford. I'm not really ready to give you all those games. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not at all. Not yet. Well, um, I mean, Rob, I guess I'm, I'm kind of doing the outro now, but man, it's been an absolute blast. Uh, we're, we're going to have to figure out a way to uh, connect for a frosty beverage before this game or after it, depending on my mood.
1: (laughs) I am more than up for it. I mean, it's, it is a
3: 1 PM game, so it's perfect to grab a drink before and after. This is true. Um, my, my only constraint is that I will be uh, dragging my father out there and, um, I don't know what my bus schedule back to San Francisco is, but uh, I definitely would like to explore Berkeley some. But, um, man, it's been an absolute delight uh, getting on you and talking shop. I mean, if I can have 11 more uh, cross SB Nation blog previews like this one, and I would say the same for you, you know, I I would think this is going to be a successful podcasting season for us at the very least. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um,
1: So, yeah, I I guess – I guess how I want to end it is um, just plugs. Where can where can Cal fans find your guys' stuff online or on Twitter?
3: Well, um, you will find Jake at the Realest R J L on uh, Twitter, um, as that's, that's spelled as you would anticipate. He's really good for just doing random fact drops, uh, on Twitter right now. Um, as you saw, he, he had to drop about 15 minutes ago because he's got a one month old, but while he's on paternity leave, he is doing a great job of doing a lot of in-depth research. So definitely a good follow. Uh, he writes for tarheelblog.com as do I, um, I'm at Chad underscore Floyd. I took care of the uh, opponent preview. So back in probably June or July, I wrote a preview on Cal that it's a little outdated, but, um, my buddy um, texted me yesterday. He said he was getting ready for the season, and he said it was more realistic than most people anticipated. So I, I, I don't know exactly where to go from there, but um, more realistic, I think I had a cow win at that point. I don't know if I'm quite there at this point. But um, what about you, Rob? Uh for me you can find my stuff on Twitter at uh Rob Eleven,
1: that's the numbers, H W A N G. You can find all their stuff at CaliforniaGoldenBlogs.com. dot com. Of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably found it on some platform uh for for either one of the sites. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it for from our
3: side. And I will say, you know, just uh for our Tar Heel blog people and you know, I, well, Weekly Tar Heel is our podcast, but uh, I will say for the, the, the same for yours. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our podcast. If you do leave a five-star review and subscribe, I will read whatever you say about our podcast on air. Uh, you, you can say mean things about me. You can say mean things about Rob. You can say mean things about Jake, Larry Fedora, Roy Williams. I don't care. I will read it live on the air without much irony. <laughs> I don't know if I could quite say the same about ours, but we
1: will try and do our best.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, right. respect. I, I respect that uh, self-respect there. Um,
1: All right. Uh, thank you for, for listening, and uh, may the best team win come September 1st. That's right.